We've asked David to be on the call today. Uh, a number of, especially new agents, we don't think like insurance companies think. You know, okay, they're on blood pressure medication, so what? It's not a big deal. However, if they're on three medications, that can become a big deal. And as a result, a lot of times we have a tendency not to ask the medications or at least drill down a little bit. And as a result, we get declines on policies. And David did a very good job a few weeks ago, but we had a little trouble with the um, recording of it and the noise background. So we've asked him to do that again, just to drill down on how he finds out a little more about what they're taking. Because sometimes it's not that the client is lying, they just forgot. But we can do things that can help remind them. So David, if you would share with us this morning some of the techniques you use to drill down on that, we would appreciate it. Sure, uh, I'm happy to do so. So, um, you know, as we get into this, you know, I've got my notes from the, when we tried to record this a couple, two, three weeks ago, and um, had several people call me um, that we're able to hear little bits and pieces behind all the static. So uh, I've just decided to reopen my notes and kind of go through top to bottom of, of what we talked about. And the underlying philosophy that I have going into the home is, in, is this. Um, throwing something against the barn is not field underwriting. Um, we, we get paid handsomely to get it right. I think I, you know, I put on group me yesterday. I made a three minute phone call to set an appointment with a client, sat with him for an hour yesterday and earned $1,400. It's very difficult to find a, a, an income stream that can give you that kind of return. And so we have a, we have a responsibility to these clients to get it right. They are looking at us as the expert. And if we just stroll in there and, oh, I, you know, I, I'm sure this will be fine, or, uh, you know, if we just guess that someone's going to qualify for a program, um, that's not fair to them. And what it does is it, is it directly impacts our bottom line, and it quintuples the amount of work we have to do. Now we've got to go back and get them a different program. Now we've got to spend hours on end with an underwriter because we got it wrong to begin with. Um, instead of, you know, my philosophy is this, would I rather sit 10 appointments and place 90% of them, in other words, get them right 90% of the time right up front, or sit 13 or 14 appointments and only get 70% of them correct? You know, and so it's better to, to take the foot off the gas, in my humble opinion. I like to take the foot off the gas, give myself plenty of time in the home to get it right while I'm there. Because if I don't, the odds of getting back in the home are much slimmer. The odds of getting them to move forward are much slimmer. Um, and so, you know, I like to give myself plenty of time to, when I set my appointment so that I'm not in a rush so I can get it right. And ultimately what I'm trying to do is immunize myself against it's probably okay-itis. In other words, it's, this will probably get approved. Now, one of the luxuries we have is the further we get into this business, for those of us that are running e-apps using point-of-sale decisioning, that gets a lot easier because we know right then and there if we're approved on the spot. Uh, but even then, we still can't just use like the Americo uh, point-of-sale decisioning to see if we underwrote it correctly. I mean, we need to know for the most part before we press the sign authorization button on AmeriCo's eApp that, yeah, this client is likely going to get an approval coming back. And so uh, that's been my philosophy. And conversely, um, 
there's a there's a tendency to gloss over, or there can be a tendency to gloss over things that we think might create a decline or might get a higher premium for a client. Um, and I, you know, there, I've caught many agents, not in our group, but I've followed agents from other organizations into a home, sat with a client who was clearly a tobacco user, and they show me a policy written three weeks earlier from another agent who wrote them as non-tobacco. Well, why did they do that? Well, because they knew that they could get them a cheaper rate and get the client to sign the deal instead of slowing down and explaining to the client that, well, you know, here, here's why your premium is going to be higher. And if the client says, well, they can't afford that, well, then they can't afford it. It's, 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 you know, we can lose our license if we knowingly know that something we put on the application is not true. Um, and I'll share a quick little story here. I was, um, I sat with a client, many of you heard this, I sat with a client last year. Uh, she was clearly a tobacco user. I was smoking when I walked in the door and um, had had a, a, a health situation. I think it was some sort of like a hepatitis type thing uh, years earlier. Um, now, the, the type that it was, though, was allowed by one of our carriers. It was approved and acceptable um, by one of our carriers, and I got the client an approved loan. We got it or approved uh, uh, policy, and um, and so I get a call from her a couple weeks later. Hey, how come you didn't show me the cheaper version? And I said, Well, because there's not a cheaper version. Well, yeah, but this agent here, I had somebody else come in, and they told me that actually I'm non-tobacco because I told them I don't smoke. I said, But you do. He goes, Yeah, but I quit since you left. I said, Well, that's fine, except it's we've got to be 12 months. She goes, well, they said I was okay. And um, I tried to explain to them that their policy was basically no good, that if anything happened in the first two years, they would always do a medical investigation, the carriers would, and, um, and that when they discovered that there was active nicotine in the system, that they would say, oh, this client should have been tobacco, policy was no good, they refund the premiums to the beneficiary, and, the, and that's it. And she goes, well, I, I'm okay. I, I kind of like what this new agent did for me. I think, it, you know, I'll be fine. Well, guess who passed away about six months later? And, in fact, the carrier, you know, she canceled the policy I took out with her. The carrier did, in fact, do an investigation, did, in fact, disallow the policy. Oh, and by the way, the agent that wrote this client, a policy that they knew they didn't qualify for, um, lost their license. And so... Um, you know, a, a poorly written business is basically worthless for the two, first two years of the policy, and it's not worth it for us to ever jeopardize our license because the moment we jeopardize that, it's over. We we, we, we can no, we, don't, we might as well become a waiter in a restaurant. Uh, there, you know, there's no moving forward from that. You can't recover from that. So it's best, in my humble opinion, take our time to be honest with the client, be honest with the carriers, and to get it right the first time. So let's talk about some resources that we can do to do that. Uh, number one, and I've told this to everybody I've hired, and, um, and this is something I've had in front of me, and when we're off the phone here a little bit later on, I'll post a couple pictures on GroupMe of what I've done. But what I did is I created, created an underwriting book. And what it is is if you go to the Equus, uh, the Equus Training Center, there's a couple of downloads you can do from there. There's a final expense underwriting guideline, and there's a term underwriting guideline. And it gives you the grid of all the different conditions. And it very simply in green says accept or red says decline. And if there's any variables, it tells you what those are. And, um, and so whenever I sit with a client 
I'll have this book sitting next to me, and as we're talking and they're sharing, you know, we're learning about different things. I had this happen yesterday with a client. Uh, we're sitting there, and she says, um, "Well, you know, do you, you know, do you take any medications?" Uh, no, well, I do. I do have a little bit of anxiety. Now, I know that basically one one uh, uh, you know one anxiety med is not going to be a problem. But I still out of habit just nonchalantly open my book scrolled to the anxiety section of the underwriting guideline and looked across and made sure that I had green with the carrier that I wanted to write her on. Even though I know after two years of in this business, two and a half years, that she's going to be fine, I still wanted to just, just, it's just, there's no reason for me to guess. And it's easy to do. And the client hardly perceives that I'm doing that, you know. Um, and then um, the other thing that I printed off, and I have these in sheet protectors, is, I, is most of the carriers in their underwriting guidelines have medication knockout sheets. So a client will say to me, um, you know, like I had a client say to me, uh, I, I take Latuda. Well, I didn't know what Latuda was. And so uh, I go to the knockout sheets. Well, sure enough, it's a knockout because it's a schizophrenia med. And it's listed right there in the different carriers. And so they have this long grid. And if any of the medications show up on that grid, you can know there's a, it's going to be an automatic decline. Okay. The other magical thing that's available in the carrier underwriting guidelines, and Forrester has one and CFG has one, and that is the diabetes worksheets. And it's a grid, and Forrester's just updated theirs going into the new year, and they dramatically lessened their stringent requirements on diabetes. And the, the, the scorecard, if you've ever seen it, it's in there. You can print it off and, and put the single sheet into, a, into this underwriting book, and it has you give a score, you know, how, how many years since it has a little grid that you track. It'll say they're a 35-year-old or a 50-year-old, and you find their age on the grid, and this is how long since diagnosis, and then you find the corresponding square, and it gives you a score. It'll say a 1 or a 2. And then it'll say, do they use tobacco? If no tobacco, 0. If yes, tobacco, 2 points. And then when it's all said and done, and you go through the full scorecard, and at the bottom it says if they scored 5 or less, then they likely qualify. Please continue with the application. If they score more than five, the client does not qualify. Please, you know, do not submit an application. And the number of times I've saved my skin sitting in the home and just, just real briefly going through that diabetes scorecard, having that in front of me has been huge. The third part is understanding the nature of what MIB is. And I think this is one of the things that trips me up a lot is that, you know, I'll sit with a client, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, I've never, you know, I've never had a heart attack, never had a stroke, never had diabetes. Uh, and then we, like, I'll start an Americo e-app, and then I get the MIB, the dreaded, sorry, client does not qualify. And I'm going, well, wait a second, I just thought I, re I, thought I pre-qualified this person, but now I'm getting a negative response because of something in their MIB. And so I'll have the clients write down the 800 phone number. We'll, we'll call up the MIB and right there when I'm with them. And, um, and then I'll say, now, when this arrives in the mail, when the report arrives in the mail, give me a call. We'll come back and we'll review it. Now, let's do a little rabbit trail here. For those that don't know, MIB is something that is pulled on, on practically every policy we write, and it's, a, it's the previous seven years of history of any insurance application this client has done. And so let's say they're at work and they fill out an application and they put on there that they're 5'9", 340 pounds. And they just nonchalantly do it. And it happened four years ago. 
and they didn't realize that that was going to go into a permanent record, or they had a medical exam as part of an insurance application, anything that was not qualifying, anything that was not qualifying is saved in the MIB. And if you want to have an eye-opening experience, order an MIB on yourself. It's free. You can Google it. It takes 30 seconds, and you'll get it within about three to five days. And you'll see, and it's like, oh, I forgot that I submitted that insurance app six years ago, or I forgot that I that I had that. Well, I, you know, and this happened with me with a client that had lost a lot of weight because that he didn't have any existing insurance. Well, it turns out he had applied for something through work about five years earlier, and that had him at a much much higher weight. And as I'm sitting across the guy, he qualified, but the problem was the MIB showed that his weight was substantially higher, and thus that carried that carried the, the heavier uh, burden of proof, and the insurance carrier wasn't able to take him. He'd have to go fully underwritten to, to qualify his weight, or he has to wait for that weight to fall off his MIB. So one of the things that we can do is when we're sitting with a client is say, well, let's, let's talk through real briefly in the, in the last five, five years, what kind of insurance applications have you made? And this doesn't have to be a long conversation. You applied for anything through work. Oh, yeah, I think I did when they brought in the new HR department. Okay, do you happen to remember your, your medical condition at that time? Height, weight, was it similar to where you are now? Any medications from then, back then, any different? And, I, and then I'll say, and by the way, the reason I'm asking these questions is not to, I don't want to make you feel nervous. It's just that we have a responsibility to make sure that this program that you qualify for actually insures you. And if we get something wrong, there's a possibility that, uh, that the insurance company could say, you know, oh, actually, at the time of application, this wasn't this wasn't the accurate information. So, if I'm accurate with you and you're accurate with me, then our, then we guarantee the quality of the of the policy that we're going to take out here. Um, the other thing I can do in the home, and we can do in the home, is as we're talking, is to make sure we get proper information from the client. Um, it can feel uh, a little bit of a headache. But the easiest thing to ever do is ask the client to bring out all their prescription bottles. Now, we all have experienced that moment in the home when we're looking up what their, uh, what their rates are going to be, and it's kind of that quiet, dull, awkward pause. I use that time to say two, to say two things. Could you do me a favor while I'm looking these things up? Could I trouble you to uh, track down all your prescriptions, the ones you take and the ones you don't take? Go ahead and just spend five minutes and grab all those bottles. That's fine. And uh, maybe it's a good time to let the dog out. That way they're busy doing something instead of sitting there watching me uh, look up the different, you know, the different quotes. And I know a lot of us, uh, uh, if you're new and you're using Dick's program, you're going in with the quotes already done. That's great. Uh, for those of us that run it on the fly, the more established we get or if we have to change carriers, that's a great opportunity to say to the client, you go get those bottles and bring them all back. And then take the time to write down, when it comes back, every single one you see there and the dosage. Um, and and any what I do is anytime something shows up that I don't recognize, I hop on the Googles and I look it up. Uh, what is this? You know, is, is it, what is this medication for that I don't recognize? Oh, well, this is a treatment for uh, pre-surgery. Uh, you know, so what did, did you recently have surgery? Oh, well, I had a small procedure, you know. And so what was that procedure for? It was a hernia. Okay, how many months removed are we from the hernia? Oh, it's been four months. Okay, uh, well, we got to be six months. Let me call CFG if they'll let us go at four. And, um, and so 
those are things that we glean from having the pills in front of us. Because I can guarantee you that most people forget every medication they take or they change medications, especially if they're veterans, they tend to change medications and they think they're on a certain cholesterol med. Well, that was what they had up until six months ago. But six months ago, they switched and they never really thought about it. They just show up in the morning, take the pill out of their little day of the week box and off they go. And so what I have found is that to take the guesswork out of them trying to remember, the easiest thing to do is to have them bring out the prescription bottles. And by the way, that was something I learned on a call from Brandon Hall 18 months ago. Here's our number one producer in the company, made over 750000 last year, and that's what he does in every single home. And he sits 40 to 50 appointments a week, and he takes the time to do that. Um, and I learned that from him, and I tell you what, it saved my skin. Oh, what is this? Let's look this up. And then what it does is it gives you an opportunity to to recognize a potential issue that's going to come up when you compare that med against the knockout list that you have in your underwriting book against the condition that might be having a decline on the underwriting book uh, or against something a client forgot to tell you. And so I take those prescriptions, look up any med I don't recognize, I cross-check against the carrier knockout list, against the underwriting guide, and then, uh, and then that gives me a real good foundation that I feel comfortable moving forward with the application. Now, the last section of this is this, that when I'm taking the app, I prep the client that I am required to read every question they answer. I know we've all encountered this where you start asking the medical questions and they start saying no after every single condition you read. And suddenly it becomes like a snowball down a hill and you start, you start going faster, you start glossing over the questions. And if you've ever been spot checked from an underwriter uh, who calls into the home six weeks later or three weeks later or two weeks later and says, hey, we're just doing a little spot check. We like to check, did, 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 the, did the agent read all these questions to you? And if we gloss over those questions versus the way the underwriters read it on the phone, I can guarantee you the client's going to say, oh, I don't remember all those questions. I mean, I, you know, I know he mentioned diabetes, but I don't remember him reading off retinopathy, eye, neuropathy, you know, whatever. And so what I tell the client, instead of starting the questions and then saying, you know, and then trying to interrupt and, and getting this, this fast-paced thing where they're just answering no, 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 I say to them, I say, now this next part's going to take about five minutes to ten minutes to read through these questions. Um, I'm going to ask for your help because I'm regulated by the state. Um, I need to read the entire question in its entirety with a lot of big words uh, before you answer so if you, if you would just let me read through, and some of them are going to be really funny. I'm going to ask you questions about dementia. I'm going to ask you questions about felonies, you know, and just when we get, you know, when I get to the, done with each question, then if you would say yes or no, um, I would appreciate that. That will help us make sure we don't miss anything. That takes the whole speed out of it. It takes the part where they're interrupting us out of it, and it helps things go much slower, and it helps me read the entire question. Um, the last last part of this is understanding that certain conditions breed other meds. The biggest thing that we under, have issues with is the moment somebody says they're on diabetic, you know, you call up and you set the appointment, ever had a heart attack, stroke, cancer, or diabetes, oh, I'm type 2. All right, you're taking metformin, yeah, I'm probably taking some cholesterol meds, probably taking some high blood pressure. Oh, yeah, how did you know? Well, I help about 25 families a week, and this is not uncommon. 
when we recognize certain conditions and breed doctors prescribing other meds, what it does is it helps us predict what we can be looking for. It establishes a much deeper level of credibility with the client. When they're looking, you go, man, this guy is not a doctor, but he knows the medications I'm going to be on. I mean, the reality is how many times do we go in the home and the client's taking uh, metformin, you know, and they're also going to be taking lisinopril. They're also going to be taking metropolol for high blood pressure. They're also going to be taking astorvastatin for, for cholesterol. And, and the client's looking like, how in the world did you know this? And so it, it, just, it helps deepen our credibility. It helps us predict. So when we understand that a, a condition like diabetes tends to produce those other meds, well, we can also learn that over time the carriers recognize that as well and they consider that controlled and we're fine. I know when I first started, I got scared to death when a diabetes client brought out the cholesterol med and they brought out the high blood pressure med. Next thing you know, I'm on the phone with an underwriter. Is this okay? And she goes, oh, yeah, that's normal. That's normal. And so um, at, over time, if we can learn from those situations what kind of previous conditions that we recognize produced approvals, then we can start to recognize, okay, this batch of meds is normal. This batch of meds is a controlled situation. And in, in the reality is that's what the underwriting is designed to do. There, uh, the, in our world, simplified issue world, underwriting is specifically designed looking for conditions that are controlled that don't create a terminal condition. And so when, when the underwriters see that, here's an individual with, with metformin, they've been taking it for a year, they've also got the high blood pressure meds, they've also got the cholesterol, they are controlled, we can move forward with an approval. Um, the last thing in referencing diabetes, by the way, is that on those scorecards, there's attached to it a height weight chart. Understand that if somebody says they have diabetes, it triggers a much more stringent height weight chart. And so when you print off an underwriting book, and again, I'll post a picture of mine, when you print off an underwriting book, uh, be certain to also print off the separate diabetes guidelines. And if somebody's diabetic, ignore everything else, go to the scorecard, fill out the scorecard, and also look at the height weight and verify that you're under height weight. I had a decline about a year and a half ago. I learned the hard way where the client was one pound out of allowed on the diabetes height weight chart. They were well within range on the regular height weight chart, but because they disclosed diabetes, it triggered the other chart. They were a pound out of weight, and therefore I got a decline, and I had a terrible learning lesson from that. Um, the last portion of this, and then we'll be done, is that how do we sniff out fraud uh, or from a client? Um, the most obvious one is somebody that uses tobacco, and has learned that if they tell you that they don't use tobacco, then in our world uh, they could somehow get an approval. And I had this happen once where I had a man, I walked in, he lived alone, there were ashtrays all around the counter, the uh, place just smelled terrible of tobacco. It was obvious he smoked. He had the, the classic Folgers coffee can on the front porch with the white resin chair with all the cigarette butts in it. And, um, and he tells me he doesn't smoke. And, and, and I said, well, but there's cigarettes on the patio. There's, he's, oh, yeah, that's for my friends that visit. I don't smoke. I quit well over a year ago. So it was obvious to me that another agent had been in the home, and he had learned the hard way that if he had said he was non-tobacco, he somehow could have got approved. Well, so I, and this was CFG, so I said, well, 
we'll go ahead and take the application. And what I did is I told CFT to deliver the package to me, the policy to me, instead of to the client. And um, and so I accepted the you know accepted the policy. He got approved. And um, and then, you know, I had to go on his word, even though I knew as I was sitting there, it was clearly it was tobacco, but he was telling me no tobacco, and I didn't see him with a cigarette in his hand. So I had the policy delivered to me, and then when I arrived, I called him up, and I said, hey, I got your policy. I'll be around tomorrow morning about 10 o'clock, okay? He goes, yeah. Well, I showed up at 9.30. And guess who's sitting on the porch smoking a cigarette before I arrived? And I did that on purpose, and I called CFG, and, hey, this individual clearly doesn't qualify. And that was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, I sat down with them. I said, well, seeing you smoke here, it's clear you do use cigarettes. And we moved them to guaranteed issue. I did it right there on his porch with them. So um, that's just the nature of the beast. It's how this works. And um, it's better to get it right and to to uh, hold ourselves and the client accountable to the questions on the questionnaire. That way, the benefits of this business are never in jeopardy. The benefits of this business are never something where we drive away going, oh, boy, I feel like I just glossed over a no when I should have said a yes to a question. So let's get it right the first time, um, and uh, we can look back on this business five years from now and know that the clients recovered. You know, I've had four death claims in my first two years. Every single one of those policies held up. And that's been a nice thing to look at. And so it's good to have that in our back pocket, that that knowledge that we did it right the first time. David, thank you so very much. Um, You know, when you're talking about that smoking versus non-smoking, I don't think the clients realize and many of the new agents don't realize that's insurance fraud. And uh, if they're doing it intentionally, now the client will misrepresent things to us sometimes on purpose and sometimes inadvertently. That's not fraud. But if you suspect something's up, you're really walking on thin ice. So I appreciate you pointing that out. And when you were talking about the client that died, it's you know, it's not that they didn't pay, but it's what that other agent did to that family. Because that family was counting on that money on that policy David wrote, and in essence, they took it away from them because that could have changed everything for them, and they did it for for their own personal gain, and that just is not right. Um, The other thing I want to point out to you is those underwriting guidelines that David was talking about, both on the term and the final expense, those things are your best friend because they give you a window into the mind of how a life insurance company thinks and guys you know this is an interesting concept but it's so true if you write a 40 year old a policy today the insurance company can tell you today how many 40 year olds uh, that have bought insurance today will be dead next year on July 4th they can tell you how many will be dead by July 4th of next year they just can't tell you who so if we try to get fancy here and we're trying to get business in there that suddenly now and when they pay that death claim out that's not a surprise to them it's not going to bankrupt them but if they get 20 applications that the person dies on my July 4th and they were counting on eight now that's not a profitable situation rates have to go up because we didn't do our job everything is priced out so there are no surprises for the client, for you, or for the company. And uh, one thing I want to close with on yours, David, because this is really valuable information for you uh, today is when you're doing the quotes in the home, 
you know, get the quote, write it down, either on a worksheet or on another piece of paper. We have, we're having too many 10-year terms policies being written because the agent's figuring foresters and showing their phone to the client thinking they want to be transparent and, and give them full disclosure. And the client says, well, I'll take that 10-year term because it's $39. Well, a 10-year term is, in most situations, if you qualify for a 20 or a 30, a 10-year term is not a good choice on your part. And secondly, it's not very profitable for the company because they're only paying 10 years, and the commission is, is about half. So nobody wins in that situation there, and I guarantee you that client that, quote, got the cheapest price, when that 10 years is up, they're going to be really upset. They're not going to be happy with you. So those are some things that I think I hope you gleaned out of what David was sharing today. And uh, now I just want you to understand you've heard today from a diamond producer so David has learned to do this right, and he shared a few weeks ago on the phone that when he started, it was he struggled and, and stressed over writing $6,000 a month in premium. And two years later, in November of 2019, there were days he would go out and write $6,000 in premium in a day. Now, he, that happened because of what you saw and heard here today, and it happened because he practiced and got better and developed his skill set to the point that he was a diamond producer. Amen. So we really, really appreciate you being so well prepared, David. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we're going to switch gears here, and <clears throat> we're going to talk with Elvir about sometimes a new agent gets into the home and they don't know how to take control. Um, Elvira is going to talk to you about verifying numbers. Uh, we've had several cases where Social Security numbers, driver's license, that sort of thing, the numbers were off. Uh, guys, that throws your uh, application pretty much right out the window as far as getting issued uh, quickly because uh, they don't know who the client is. They can't match it up with anything. So I'm just going to have Elvira get started right off. And, uh, you know, he is um, – uh, a very a, a top agent. Uh, if you could see my dashboard from last night, I don't know how many he finally submitted, but a bunch of uh, applications yesterday. Um, he is a master at what he does also, and so I'm just going to let him talk about, uh, you know, getting into the home, making the client feel comfortable, and how he does it. Elvira, take it away. Can you can you hear me? Uh, perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, I uh, appreciate you having me on the call, and um, I hope I can share something with uh, somebody who can learn. Um, a lot of these uh, these lessons, uh, so to speak, have been uh, learned uh, through uh, uh, baptism through fire, so to speak. So we all kind of made the mistake, as uh, as David said. We you kind of learn best when you make mistakes, but we hope you don't have to. That's why we're here um, to uh, kind of guide you and uh, and help you out as much as we can but <clears throat> so I guess uh, Connie has kind of uh, directed me to help um, kind of take control in the house um, and hopefully make you a little bit more comfortable um, kind of guiding where kind of to start off so um, <clears throat> I guess I'll, I'll start off with you know, as I pull up to the house, um, most of my um, appointment setting and stuff like that, I, I like to, I spend a little bit more time um, 
preparing, uh, talking to the client, you know, why I'm coming out, and all these different things, just because uh, the IVRs and IPLs, and that's maybe a little different discussion for another day, but um, I prepare them when I get there. They know why I'm coming out, what the expectations are, and everything else. I'll posture it on the phone a little bit longer. So when I get there, you know, I usually knock on the door, or when I get out, when I get out of the the car, I wave. Um, I think they kind of talked about that some other uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I wave, even if they're not there, I still wave, <laughs> just to let them know I if somebody is looking that I see them. And then I knock on the door, um, and most of the time now, you will notice when you knock on a door, or they ring the doorbell. They have those video cameras now. Most people know you're there. Uh, on their phone just because when you ring the doorbell that pops up on their phone that somebody's there and they can record it. Um, so they know you're there. I usually step back um, uh, just so they don't feel threatened when they open the door. I said, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Elvis, blah, blah. We get in the house. And what I like to do is I like to take off my shoes um, just because I take off my shoes in the home. I usually take off my shoes at their house, so make sure you're not wearing any holes in your socks or something like that. So, um, And as I walk in, um, I kind of chit-chat a little bit, but I kind of aim to see where the kitchen table is. And um, so I kind of say hi, and I'm like, okay, well, is it okay if we we'll go sit at the kitchen table over there? So at that point, um, I like to take charge and kind of direct them. Um, they are expecting you to direct them because they don't know or they never had anybody come in to talk about mortgage protection. So I tell them, okay, let's go sit at the table. So you're taking control at that point um, as soon as you walk in. Another thing, uh, as you're walking, keep in mind you're going to be – if you're sitting with a husband and wife, never sit – in the center between them, okay? So you're, you, what you're psychologically doing is you're dividing them. So what I, uh, what I like to do is I usually like to sit in an L shape. So I sit on the corner, and then what you want to do if you're a male, you want to sit next to the male. So the male will sit at the head of the table um, or next to you. You never want to sit next to the wife. It's just, again, another psychological thing where – it just creates this, you're closer to his wife. So it, it can kind of damage. The, it, it's small, but it can kind of damage the sales. So if you're a male, you want to sit next to the husband. If you're a female, you kind of want to sit next to the, to the, to the wife just for psychological purposes. It might not mean much, but do not never sit in the center between them. I don't like doing that, um, either facing them or sitting next to them, however the table is set up, Okay. But never be sitting next to the wife if the husband is there. Um, and then ultimately, um, I put my stuff next to next to me, kind of on the side. I push it away. I leave my hands on the table so they don't feel like I'm hiding something. And I always have my uh, uh, phone in my pocket. Uh, you don't want to be, you don't want to have your phone on the table and it's facing up and having that situation where. You see somebody's calling and they're talking to you, but you're staring at your phone. Um, you you want to have your full attention on them. So move your phone, leave it in your pocket. Um, that's kind of letting them know that you are there for them and you um, you keep your hands out so um, you're you're kind of open. There's nothing to expect. It's kind of a another another psychological thing for them to keep. Um, uh, 
engaged with you. So they are not they don't have a guard up. Even though they do have a little bit, but you're you're over as the appointment kind of wears down and you're asking questions about them and you're wanting to get to know them, um, hopefully that wall comes down a little bit. I usually spend time about 10 to 15 minutes um, asking, you know, um, connecting questions like, you know, where they moved from, why they chose this home, do they have kids, grandkids. Um, I try to make them feel, uh, try to make them laugh. If they have grandkids, I usually ask which one is the favorite, you know, just so I can kind of create a connection. They would say, well, nobody's the favorite but we all really know that there is a favorite grandchild always. Um, they just don't want to say it. But ultimately what you're doing at that point, you're, you know, you're softening them up, you're getting them to laugh, you're wanting them to open up, and you, the way you do is you ask open questions about them and not about you. You might throw a um, few remarks about yourself, but do not talk about yourself. Talk about them. Ask them questions, you know, where they grew up, Another question I like to ask is, you know, how long they've been married, um, who actually asks, you know, who, who, who popped the question, and, you know, just very, very uh, deep questions that they might have not thought, thought about, and uh, it makes them realize a lot of different things. That's what I like to do. That's kind of, for me, it, it makes them realize a lot of different things, but you are focusing on them and not about you, Okay. And then, um, then what you do at that point is after 10 to 15 minutes, you transition and you pretty much um, uh, tell them, okay, well, we can talk about this all day. Let's kind of talk about why we came here. And then at that point, I ask them, well, what do you know about mortgage protection? Um, have you had it in the past? So I try to get some uh, uh, discovery questions out. And then um, I do my presentation. Okay. Hey, Elvira. So, yes. Hey, Elvira. So after you do your presentation and you're filling out the app, um, uh-huh. the, biggest, the biggest thing these new agents are having trouble with is getting the information right. I mean, do you just sail through that application? We all know that first page is full of numbers, Social Security, telephone, birth date, mm-hmm. uh, driver's license, four numbers that are vital uh, to the application. Yeah. So, do you make any attempt to get those, you know, correct? Yeah. So, what I do is, um, when they pick the uh, correct, uh, when I give them numbers and uh, they pick which one they want, I tell them, okay, uh, I need to uh, see your driver's license to make sure that you're male or female, and then um, I need your bank account information as well. And at that point, I start the application. Okay, I ask them those valid information that Social Security, um, and then most of their stuff is on the ID, so I have it in front of me. We go through the application, and then on GPM or any other um, online app, I lock the information, and then at that point, you can see the application. It will literally fill everything in. And at that point, I flip over the iPad, and then I go through them. I said, okay, this is your name. Make sure this is the correct spelling. This is your date of birth. This is your social. This is, uh, you know, we go through that information, and then we go down and we make sure that the beneficiary is correct. You know, um, I actually had uh, the other day, it was kind of a weird spelling 
I had to, I had to go back three times because I couldn't. I don't know. I, maybe I was just tired. I was losing my mind. I couldn't just spell this this last name right. And it took me three times to go back to change it. And uh, we were laughing about it. I'm like, I'm really getting old. But it took me three times to unlock it, go back, lock it, review it. So every time I go back, I lock it again, and then I show show the the client all the information. That way, it creates trust just so they don't think I changed something, right? Well, this is the amount that you're getting. This is, you know, how much you're paying, the, the term, and everything else that we go through. With GPM, it's really nice because it's one continuous stream of data, so you can just keep, kind of keep going down, and then you go down to their bank account information. I like to show them, okay, this is correct. Let's make sure that's correct. This is the amount. This is when it comes out in drafts. So, and it sometimes it's very, very nerve-wracking to do that because you think you might lose the sale, but I will, I guarantee you it's going to solidify the, the sale even more by doing that. So you might be scared. They'll, they'll say no, but uh, I promise you, you, you will be a lot more comfortable leaving the house um, because they know what they're getting, and they're getting a physical view of it, and also they're getting an email afterwards. Does that answer your question, Connie? It does, and I, I think that's going to be helpful for new agents. Um, you know, uh, Elvira has a degree in computer science, so he probably didn't need to practice a ton. But the reason we are um, recommending foresters uh, for your first application as often as we can when the client um, qualifies is because you can do an e-app. But that doesn't mean you go into the home and go, oh, gee, I wonder how I – Log into Foresters. No, you've got to prepare your back office once you have the number with your login. You've got to go in and practice that e-app and figure out the nuances. There's a tutorial, guys. There's a walkthrough tutorial for that e-app, and every um, carrier has it. Now, the question often comes from a new agent, well, can I uh, do an e-app with Mutual or whoever? No, you cannot do an e-app until you have an agent number. So Forrester's first, and then as soon as you have your GPM and your AmeriCo numbers, you can use those e-apps. Once you've written a paper app for Mutual, Gerber, um, <clears throat> then you can use the back office to write e-apps. And I know um, a lot of you are going to be really um, glad to do that because the paper apps are longer and uh, handwriting can often be an issue. So we are nearing the 11 o'clock uh, hour. Elvira, uh, I think I'm going to have you um, – you know, is there one more thing you needed to say to anybody about the verification? Do you feel like you've covered it? Yes. <clears throat> The e-app, don't look at it as e-app is a lot faster because you will catch yourself in a lot of trouble that way. The e-app is designed to get the application to the carriers a lot quicker. The same time you put into the e-app should be the same amount of time you put into a paper app. Okay, um, it, it will be a lot smoother, a lot faster, but the attention to detail should be all the same when it comes to both. Um, just because you you want to make sure that you are getting the correct information, um, it is all it is very very easy um, to to just gloss over things and see different numbers. Um, I used to struggle with 
um, um, the, uh, the account and the routing information. I mean, I've, I really thought I was dyslexic at one point, but you just have to slow down. Uh, slow down. You, you are faster when you slow down than just speed through it because then you have to come back. Attention to detail is your best friend. Thank you for adding that because I did misspeak when I said that it was faster. No, the idea is to get it, as Elvier said, to the carrier faster so that the client can be covered and you can be paid. And in doing that, you want to take your time, as David mentioned earlier, being very precise, uh, giving attention to detail. And if this is not one of your strong suits, practice it even more and make certain that you can get it right. Elvira, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. Um, we are going to um, go ahead and uh, say goodbye to all of you for this week.